Good evening. I want to thank you for being here. No, it wasn't the easiest thing, losing an hour of sleep last night, but it's good to see you. Glad you're here. Have you ever met someone who you thought if worrying was an Olympic sport, they could win a gold medal? <laughs> hate to admit it, I'm actually one of those people, so uh, this lesson means a lot to me this evening and one of those times where the preacher's mainly preaching to himself. The thing about worry is it seems to be almost a sort of uh, defense tactic, right? Maybe if I can think about a thing enough that I deem a threat, if I can think about it and mull it over, maybe after a while, if that thing happens, I'll be prepared for it and it won't be as traumatic. The problem is, and maybe the irony, is that most of the things we worry about actually never end up happening. In fact, there's even a scientific study that took a group of people who complained about chronic worry and it took them and had them list all the things they were worried about and then tracked them over a period of time. And it found that 91.4% of the things they were worried about never happened. So imagine that. Sometimes we walk around just burdened by all these worries and the chances are those things are never going to happen anyway. And worry is something that's plagued people really since people were around. But we're going to look specifically at what Jesus has to say about worry here in Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse number 25. So I hope you'll turn there in your Bibles. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25. We're going to see some of the things Jesus has to say about worrying. And we're going to look specifically at some reasons not to worry. Jesus gives us some reasons not to worry. And it doesn't mean that worry isn't sometimes warranted. Uh, sometimes you have good reason to be fearful. Sometimes there's good reason to panic. But this kind of worry over the small, minute things of life that distract us from the bigger picture and distract us from serving God, these are the kinds of things that Jesus wants us to, to not worry about. So in the first place, we'll see that we shouldn't worry because there are more important things. We shouldn't worry because there are more important things. Look at verse number 25 there. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? And I think it's interesting Jesus uses the example of basic necessities. Think about trying to live your life without food or drink. Try to think about living your life without clothing. It'd be pretty hard. Yet these are the same things Jesus uses as examples to say that we should not worry. And if you've ever been in a situation where either of these things are scarce, either food or clothing, you know how important these things are and how anxiety-inducing they can be. Yet even these things, Jesus says, are not the most important things in life. He says our life is more than food. It's more than our sustenance. And our body is more than just our clothing. And our specific worries may not be about food or clothing. You personally, I don't know what you worry about. You probably don't know what I worry about. But I'd venture to say that most of our worries are about things that we could say are little things. And I think Jesus here, more than looking at the specifics of food and clothing, is bringing out a principle. And this principle is oftentimes we worry about things that in the grand scheme of things don't amount to much. Or in the grand scheme of things really aren't the most important thing. And it reminds me of Martha. If you would turn your Bibles in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And notice what Jesus has to say to Martha in that situation. Luke 10, 38 through 42. 
It says there, now Jesus, sorry, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, we know Martha and Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. You ever been in one of those situations where you're helping, and there's people there either who are volunteers, and they're supposed to be helping too, or maybe it just would be fitting for them to help, and they're not? That can be a frustrating experience. But notice what the Lord answers her, verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So notice this contrast between Mary and Martha. Martha is going about anxious about all these different things, worried about all these different things, imploring the Lord to help her, get her sister to help her, worry about all the things she has to worry about. And Jesus says, look, Martha, there's more important things to worry about right now. And sometimes that's true in our life as well. Sometimes we spend so much time and energy worrying about money, the future, conflicts, whatever it may be, and we leave ourselves no time or energy to focus on things that are truly important. We leave ourselves no time or energy to have proper priorities. And we end up even, hopefully not, but sometimes we can even choke out our own faith just because we fill ourselves with anxiety and worry. And Jesus' desire for his disciples, and we'll get to this later, but his main desire for his disciples, the way they're going to get over this worry, is to have some perspective about what is truly important. I think this is a good reminder for us to think about the things we're worried about and ask ourselves how important they really are, how likely they really are. How do they impact our life? How do they impact our eternity? Are they substantial or are they superficial? Jesus reminds us that our life consists of more than just the little things. We can have scarce food and shabby clothing and still be rich in faith. We can look at a future that says, I'm not really sure where I'm going to get what I need next, and still depend on God. So not always, but a lot of the times, we shouldn't worry because there are more important things. Next, we shouldn't worry because God values us. That's really Jesus' next point. Look there at verse 26, and then jumping to verses 28 through 30. Notice what Jesus has to say. He's asking them to look around. He's an object lesson. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Jumping to verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus here is arguing from the lesser to the greater. He's asking them to look around. Look at the wild flowers in the field. They're not cultivated. Nobody goes out and waters them, but there they are, and they're beautiful. Why? Because God provides for them. Look at the, beer, the birds of the air. They're pretty, easy. they're pretty busy. Yeah, you could say maybe they're a bit industrious, but they're not gathering into barns. They're not necessarily planning for tomorrow, but what God provides for their needs and they're well taken care of. And Jesus asked the question, if God does that for birds, if God does that for grass, how much do you think he cares for you? And sometimes that we can be reminded, just like Jesus' audience here, by looking around in nature, how good God is. And then we look at our own life and say, certainly if God's going to take care of these things, 
he's going to take care of me as well. If God makes sure birds are fed and plants look good, and if we are of so much more valuable, so much more value than they in the sight of God, what ought we to expect? Look at what Jesus has to say about this in another passage. In Matthew 10, 29 through 31, if you would turn there in your Bibles. Matthew 10, 29 through 31. Matthew 10, 29 through 31. And here Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And Jesus is saying, look at this bird that's really not good for much. And how it's sold in the marketplace, even it, for a penny. Even that has some kind of value, even though it's small, small value. But Jesus says, even one of these birds, these insignificant birds that you could buy for cheap, even they don't fall out of the air without God knowing. And if God is so concerned with these little birds that sell for just a penny, how concerned do you think he is for you? He says, so concerned, Jesus says, that he even knows the number of hairs on your head. And this is an important lesson for us because we need to remember in these times of worry, in these times of anxiety, that God values us. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not going to feel any pain. That doesn't mean that the things we're worried about aren't going to happen. But it means that even in the midst of that, we know that we're not forsaken. We know that God hasn't deserted us. Think about Jesus. There's one author who says, there's a lot of different ways to interpret suffering in life. But one thing we know for sure is that suffering does not mean that God doesn't love us. Think about Jesus on Calvary. God's never, uh, that's Jesus, right? God, the booming voice of God the Father at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And even Jesus suffered while he was here in this life. Suffering doesn't mean God doesn't care for us. And in these times of hardship, in these times of worry and anxiety, we need to remember that we are valued. And our value is evidenced in the Bible in a couple of different ways. Think about in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, when God makes man, and it says that he creates male and female, how? In his image, after his likeness. Think about how far that goes to how much God values us. When God looks at us, he doesn't see him kind of some kind of strange figure. He doesn't see some kind of inanimate object. He sees a being on which his value and likeness is stamped. And that leads to him valuing us. Think about also the fact that God very blatantly has said that he cares for us. Not only here in Matthew 6, but also in Matthew 10 as well. Also think about 1 Peter 5, 7, where we're told to cast all our anxieties on the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. And again and again, you can read in God's word about God's care for us. But sometimes in the heat of the moment, when we're more focused on what's going on around us, we forget that. But this is a fact that should hopefully still our minds. Our value is further evidenced by what Jesus has done for us. Think about Romans 5, 6 through 8, where Jesus at the right time, while we were still ungodly, while we were still sinners, died for us. Where one might scarcely die for a righteous person, the perfect Son of God died for the vilest and most wicked of men. Why? Because that's how much God values us as people. 
And it's interesting, he doesn't just value us as a collective, he doesn't just value us as a mass of humanity, he values us as individuals. He knows what you're going through, he knows the trouble in your life, he knows what you're worried about, he knows the number of hairs on your head, and he cares for you. Whether we're aware of it or not, when we needlessly worry, we are expressing doubt in the greatest truth, or one of the greatest truths we can ever know, that God cares for us. And when we have this perception that we are valued highly by the sovereign, all-powerful, all-wise master of the universe, it puts our worries into perspective. And things may not always go our way. There will be pain. There will be hardship. But we don't need to worry because of who is watching out for us. And if the birds and grass don't need to worry, certainly neither do we. Think back to when you were a child and your parents stilled your worry if they were around and if they cared for you. I remember as a kid, sometimes I would get really scared. I would go to either my mom or my dad and I would run to them and I'd throw myself into their arms and I would ask for their protection. And it wasn't just because they were stronger than me or wiser than me or more confident than me. It was because I knew they cared for me. I remember my mom or my dad telling me in these moments, I would never let anything happen to you. Maybe you told your kids that, or maybe your parents told you that when you were a child. And why do parents say that? I'll never let anything happen to you. They're voicing their concern, their care. They're saying, look, you are valuable to me, and I'll do what I can, whatever it takes, to help you. And multiply that care times infinity, and that's the care that God has for us. And when we keep that in perspective, hopefully, when we're worrying about the ridiculous, I mean, when we're worrying about the small things, we can start to see how ridiculous that is. Next, worry doesn't accomplish anything. Look at Matthew 6, verse 27, the verse we skipped over the first time. Matthew 6, 27, worry doesn't accomplish anything. And there it says, at least in the ESV, it says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? New King James, King James, which of you by worrying can add a single cubit to his height or to his span? Either way, what Jesus is getting across is the same. It's this idea of we worry and we worry and we worry, but the irony almost is that these worries don't help us avoid the outcomes we're afraid of. And you could worry until you're blue in the face. You could worry until your hair falls out and you throw up. And it's not going to lessen the chance of that thing you're scared of happening. It just won't. And I know I'm probably speaking to people who've learned this from experience and already know this, but this really is one of the greatest realizations we can have about worry, that ultimately, it's powerless. And think about all the things we worry about. They fall into two categories, things we can do something about and things we cannot do anything about. And if you think about it, in either case, worry is unnecessary. Because if it's something you can do something about, just do that thing. If it's something you can't do anything about, well, then there's no sense in worrying about it. You can't do anything about it. And sometimes when we can deduce our worries down to those, uh, that dyad, if you will, it helps us out a little bit. And if you think about all the tools we have at our disposal to have a successful life, to have a happy life, worry is the most powerless. It's not going to help us in our objectives. In fact, it may even hurt. One writer said this, Speaking of what worry cannot do and what worry can do, he says, Worry cannot pray, it cannot work, it cannot create anything, 
It cannot alter anything. But worry can conceal heaven from our view, spoil earth, and as it were, open hell. In other words, this worry that we think is going to help us, this worry that we think is some kind of tactic maybe to help us out, really doesn't do anything for us. It'd be like worrying yourself, Jesus says. It'd be like worrying yourself to be 18 inches taller. You can't do it. You could try your might. All you can do, you could just think about it and worry about it and worry about it, and you'd wake up the next day and it'd be impossible to be 18 inches taller. That's a cubit, adding a cubit to your height or a cubit to your span. Jesus says, look, this is how ridiculous this is. And when you look at it from that perspective, you realize that worry really is not going to accomplish anything. But there is something, rather somebody, who can accomplish something, and that's God. Look at Matthew 6, verses 31 through 33. The fourth reason why we should not worry is because God will provide. Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Therefore, and that, of course, that transition, because all this is true, Jesus says, because all this is true, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And this might sound harsh, and I'm not trying to step on toes. As I said, I worry as much as everybody else, and it's something that, while writing this lesson, I repented of privately many times. But one scholar says this. He describes worry really as a type of practical atheism. And it's, we might know that God exists, we might believe that God exists, but when we worry about little things, we're acting as if we don't. If it's true that God is there and he provides and he cares for us and he knows we need the things we're worrying about, why don't we just leave it to him? And if we believe that God is how he describes in his word, really, there is no need to worry. One scholar says this, anxiety characterized pagan religions, which were dominated by fears of a capricious and despotic deity who constantly had to be appeased. That may have been part of what Jesus was referring to when he says the Gentiles seek after these things. People who are pagans, this, they're constantly worried. Why? Because they don't have a belief in an all-power, sovereign God who values them. They believe in a God whose will is as fickle as ours. And they don't know whether or not they're going to be able to appease him. But when you look in the Bible, that's not how God is described. Conversely, even our God knows what we need. And Jesus says he will deliver. And we must simply trust him and seek him above all else. And this is the perception that Jesus was trying to get to there in verse 25. When he's talking about the little things, worrying about the little things. Here he really brings it to a head, verse 33. Instead of worrying about these things, what should I do? Jesus, tell me. I have this hole in my life now where that worry used to occupy. What do I fill it with? Jesus says, instead of worrying, pursue first, above everything else, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. And in that verse, I hope you find peace of mind. And this idea that I can pursue God, the same God who's pursued me through his word and his son, and I can have my needs met, and I can have no reason to worry. 
When we have these proper priorities, it doesn't only decrease our worry, right? Because now all of a sudden, food, clothing, the little things, they're not our priority. So when they don't come through, we're not as anxious about it. So there's just that practical aspect of when I pursue God above these things, I'm going to be less worried about these things because they're not my number one thing. There's the practical aspect, but then there's also the aspect of God providing. And we could argue and debate about how God will provide, but I think we've seen him come through again and again. Oftentimes, at least in my experience, it's through his community of people. When we as a collective body of believers, the church, are all pursuing God and his righteousness, God, through us, is helping each other. And not only that, through providential means and whatever else it may be, God does supply for his people. And we can know that, and we could take hope in that. Lastly, we shouldn't worry because we can only live one day at a time. Look at verse 34. Therefore, again, therefore, because this is the case, because the Gentiles seek after these things, because your heavenly Father knows that you need them, because your responsibility is to seek first the kingdom of God, and then these things will be added to you, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Why? For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You've probably heard the quote a million times if you've heard it once. Worry never robs today of its sorrow, only tomorrow, I mean, sorry, so worry never robs today of its sorrow, only, okay, I'll restart. <laughs> worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow, only today of its joy. There you go, that's one less sleep in action right there, one less hour of sleep. Um, so that quote, we th- again, we think worry can do these things and it simply cannot. If you think about worry too, it's almost never in the moment. Like right now, some of you may be worried right now. But if you were to really think about what's going on right now, you're sitting in a church pew listening to a portion of God's word. And it's a little warm in here for my taste, but the climate's pretty nice. We're not getting rained on. There's no imminent threat. And still, there's some who may be worried. And when you think about that, all of our worry, not all of it maybe, but a lot of it, is in some kind of reality that doesn't really exist. We're always worried about tomorrow, and tomorrow's not even here, or the day after, and it's not even here, or 30 years down the road, or however many years down the road, and that's not even here. And that's not always the case, but often, Jesus says, our worry is fixed in a day that isn't even here and might not even come. So the result is to not be worried about tomorrow. When we look at this text, you see Jesus, Jesus explicitly says not to worry about a couple of things. Verse 25, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about food, drink, clothing. And then lastly there, verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow. And when you put all those things together, don't worry about my life. Don't worry about the little things. Don't worry about tomorrow. That pretty much suffices most of our worries. And it's interesting, Jesus says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Notice Jesus says, it's not that there's not going to be any trouble, but there's no reason to compound the trouble of today with the perceived trouble of tomorrow. That simply is not going to help. One commentator says, every day brings its burden from beneath, but also its help from above. And if we can trust God, walk with him, and seek him, hopefully we can have the peace of mind he promises in Philippians 4, 6 through 8, that peace of mind which surpasses all understanding. It is impossible to simultaneously be worried and be in the moment. Worry about today and today only, but even that 
and trust to the hands of God. I'm reminded personally from verses like this and sections in scripture like this that God really does want us to have an abundant life. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. And it's not the kind of abundance the world seeks. It's not the rat race. It's not trying to climb the corporate ladder. It's not doing whatever it takes to accumulate as much goods as possible. The abundant life is found in the peace and the tranquility that comes with trusting God. The abundant life is found in seeking God and his righteousness and knowing that those things will be added to us. So next time you worry, think about these things. I hope you will. Think about how God cares for you. Instead of worrying about it, go to him in prayer and leave it with him and trust that he will deliver. I don't know what you're worried about today. According to the scientific study, whatever it is has a 91% chance of never happening. But maybe your worry is of a spiritual nature. Maybe you've sat through sermon after sermon after sermon, and you know that if you were to die today, you would not go to heaven. Maybe you know that there's sin in your life that is unforgiven and has been weighing on your conscience, that has been keeping you up at night, that has been making you feel anxious. That kind of worry can be dealt with immediately. Because when we come to God on his terms in faith, repenting of our sins, confessing his son, being buried with baptism, we no longer have to worry about our eternal destination. We can know that heaven's our home as long as we keep walking in the light of God. Maybe you're worried and anxious because you have sin in your life as a Christian you know shouldn't be there something that you keep repenting of and keeps popping up, or something that's happened recently that you need to get off your chest. We want to help you ease that burden. Maybe your anxiety, maybe your worry is constant, and it's day in and it's day out. I don't want to limit it. I don't want to belittle it. But I hope you'll look at this text and see what Jesus has to say about worry and realize that God wants to help you and that he can help you. If you feel a need to come forward, to take care of something of a spiritual nature, if we can help you, won't you do that while we sing this song?